Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, Faith That Works, in the book of James today. So let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Tale of Two Wisdoms. One of the things we all have to learn, and the earlier we learn it, the better, it's this. When we say yes to one thing, we close the door to another thing. You know, if you get married, you say yes to one person, but you've said no to everyone else. When you buy a house, you've been vacillating between a number of potential houses. The minute you pick one, you've said no to all the others. You know, for some people, that's why choosing is so hard. They can't get themselves to close the door on some options. You know, if I choose medicine, I'll never choose architecture, and therefore, those dreams of what might have been are going to haunt me. Of course, as we know, the person who never says no to the other options is the person who never fully embraces anything. He or she will never know the gratification of devotion and commitment and accomplishment and deep inner satisfaction. Instead, they spend much of their lives vacillating. In James 1 verse 6, James spoke of the man who is like the waves of the sea. It's driven and tossed by the wind. That is, every new possibility, every new idea, every uncertainty, every criticism sends this person off in a new direction. The last part of James chapter 3 is the story of the tale of two wisdoms. As we read through this text, it becomes clear that there are two competing wisdoms and we must choose one. It's the choice between earthly wisdom and the wisdom that comes from above. As we read, we're going to be struck by two thoughts. The first is that wisdom from below is not true wisdom at all. But the second is that both forms of supposed wisdom are making an appeal to us. And in that sense, this is not unlike what we find in the book of Proverbs. You know, in Proverbs 8 verse 1, we read, Does not wisdom call? And then in Proverbs 9, verse 13, we read, The woman folly is loud. You see, both folly and wisdom are making an appeal for followers. I think that's an appropriate way to read James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. So, let's read our text. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let's break this text down into three parts. The first part is in verse 13. This, just like Proverbs, this is a call. It's a call to embrace the wisdom from God. Make your choice. The second section is from verses 14 to 16, and there we're going to find the description of worldly wisdom. This is the stuff that you want to avoid. Say no to this. And then in verses 17 to 18 is the description of God's wisdom. But above all, we should notice that God wants his people to live in his wisdom. Now, that's not a new thought in the book of James. 
You know, the book began encouraging believers to count it all joy when they encounter trials of various kinds. Now, seeing trials through the prism of God's providence and seeing trials as a source of joy, well, that takes wisdom. And so in James 1 verse 5, we read, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. There we've been encouraged to seek God's wisdom. And then as we continue to read through James, we're encouraged to do more than simply hear the word. We're supposed to do it. Again, that requires wisdom. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, we're encouraged to be aware against an unguarded use of our tongue. That is, we're to be cautious in the way that we speak. What we say requires wisdom. Again, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. When James begins by asking who is wise and understanding, we're supposed to see that James doesn't assume that every single believer is wise. But by saying, who is wise and understanding among you, all believers are supposed to say, well, I want to be wise. But look closely, James asks, who is wise and understanding? You know, wisdom is all about knowing what is good and how to make choices that are based on what is good. Wisdom is skill in living. It's it's the ability to choose those things that result in good and to avoid those things that result in sorrow and in division and in evil and in harm. But James adds, and understanding. You know, other translations use the word insight, as in who is wise and has insight. You know, some Bible teachers think this word might well be translated as the well-informed person. Who is wise and has a bunch of stored information about the Christian life? You know, remember at the beginning of this chapter, James has said that not everyone should strive to become a teacher. Christian teachers know the nature of their faith well. They understand essential Christian truth. They know how to articulate that. But notice that James puts these two things together. Wisdom is about choosing well, and insight is about knowing well. Who knows Christian truth well, says James, and on the basis of this, knows how to choose well. Now, if that's you, says James, show that by your good conduct, your good life. Demonstrate that, he says. Now, if we ask, how does one demonstrate wisdom? Please notice James is about to explain that matter. Notice also that his first explanation will deal with the negative side of that equation. Notice, he says, the opposite of wisdom and understanding. What does that look like? And so in verses 14 to 16, James shows us what earthly wisdom looks like. But just to help us to understand the issue, I'm going to take some liberty in the way in which we deal with the text. I'm I'm going to take the verses out of order. Go to verse 15, and then we're going to go back to verse 14. Notice in verse 15, we read, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Notice the three marks of counterfeit wisdom. The first mark is that it is earthly. That means that the source of this kind of wisdom does not come from God. It comes from the opinions of people and from the realities of the culture in which we live. So notice the contrast by going all the way back to James 1.17. There we read, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
This is the fundamental difference between God and human beings and, and the cultures that we inspire. God never changes. His wisdom remains constant. His word is forever secure. He, he never speaks and then changes his mind. There, there is no variation in God. But there's plenty of shifting shadows and variations in us. What is considered wise in one time period is, is abandoned in another. You know, it was once considered wise to have slaves. Now, it isn't. But lest we feel smug at how advanced we have become, in our culture, did you notice, it is considered wise to believe that there is no such thing as objective truth. I tell you, the day is going to come when people will quote this about our culture and they're going to shake their head at the inconsistency of believing that. But I say all of that in order to demonstrate that, that if you take the source of your wisdom from the, the cultural norms, well, you're going to feel wise only for a while, and then coming generations are going to mock you as a fool. And so earthly wisdom is the wisdom that is transitory. It's always changing. The next marker of earthly wisdom, says James, is unspiritual or soulish. That's to say it never delights in anything but itself. You know, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, Paul said, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. That's to say the natural person will always find the things of God an unwelcome intrusion into his or her life. Things like repentance and faith are an attack on the ego and they're going to be discarded. And that's the attraction of earthly wisdom. It doesn't upset the ego, it affirms the ego. And therefore, the thoughts of God, which James says demand meekness, will automatically be rejected. But then James adds another marker for earthly wisdom. He says it's demonic. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Paul warns of the doctrines of demons. And in Matthew 16, Jesus said to Peter, while Peter was telling Jesus he'd never have to suffer, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You know, some things that we believe, some things we practice, some things we accept as truisms, some things which we simply take for granted actually come from the satanic kingdom. Think about it. Some things that we think are wise actually come from the throne room of the evil one. In Jesus' parable of the sower, it's the soil that enhances the harvest. Hardened ground must be broken up. Earth riddled with stones or weeds has to be sifted. When the soil is prepared, the seed bursts into life. Back to the Bible Canada is committed to the sowing of God's Word. And you can stand with us in this commitment. Your regular financial gifts make this broadcast possible. Your kindness propels the Word of God across Canada. Your prayers help prepare the soil, and your donations help plant the truth. This month, because of the generosity of a group of dedicated listeners, we've been privileged to extend our match campaign with an additional $75,000. So, double your impact, dollar for dollar, during the month of July. To do so, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. When James seeks to define wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, notice how verse 14 and verse 16 
very naturally dovetail with each other. Verse 14 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And then verse 16 says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, that is, the logical outcome of those attitudes is, says James, well, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, at the outset, you might ask how it can ever be that in any culture that jealousy and ambition are considered as wisdom. But if you think about it, that's exactly what our world thinks to be wisdom. Start with jealousy. You know, the Greek word that James uses for jealousy is the word zelos, and it in reality means to have strong feelings. You know, but in this case, it means a strong feeling of envy over what someone else has. It's not just that we see our neighbor that has a better house than we have. It's that we enviously yearn that we might have what they have. Notice that James places an adverb in front of the verb. He says, bitter jealousy. That is to say, because you don't have what someone else has and because that person who has what you don't have is no better than you are. Well, they might even be less than you are. Well, that's poisoned all of your thoughts. Now, the next word is ambition. Ambition simply has to do with aspirations, seeking to accomplish something. But again, James puts an adverb in front of it, and this time it's the word selfish. And that, James gives us the very key to understanding earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom always puts self ahead of all other things. (laughs) And we all know that that's the standard of worldly wisdom. If you don't look after yourself, no one else will. That's what we say. How strange it must seem to hear of Jesus who laid aside his own interests, laid aside his own life, so that we might live. How how strange that wisdom seems. But, says James, worldly wisdom leads to a result. Look again at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Let's understand both of those words, disorder. It's the same word that was earlier translated as unstable. You know, when James said, unstable in all his ways. So please understand that James is relating the wisdom of the world to Christian fellowship. He is saying that when one lives by the wisdom of the world, one creates an unstable congregation. There will be many disturbances, things that create factions and disruptions. The second word is the phrase, every vile practice. That's a general description of, of things that are incompatible with the Spirit of Christ. You know, whether it's lying to a congregation or slandering others or creating divisions, teaching false doctrines, dividing a church. You know, all of that didn't just happen. You can't blame that stuff on anything but the fact that key leaders are worldly in their wisdom. Worldly wisdom leads to everything that is evil in a local fellowship. And then we're talking about the tale of two wisdoms. James now describes, in perhaps the most detailed description, I think in our entire New Testament, what it is that constitutes biblical wisdom. You know, if you want to know what constitutes the wisdom from above, listen closely. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, James presents us with six descriptors of godly wisdom. Let's let's take them one at a time. First, pure. Pure means undiluted. That is, the wisdom from above never comes with mixed motives. 
You know, I wonder if you've ever, in a dialogue with someone, been guilty of a hidden agenda. That is, you're publicly saying one thing, but there's something else you wish to accomplish. That's impurity. You've added another ingredient to the mix. Hidden agendas, where we say one thing, but but actually want to accomplish something else, is not the wisdom from God. The pure man or woman is the man or woman without guile, without duplicity, without deceit. What they appear to be is exactly what they are. What they appear to be saying is what they are saying. There are no hidden motives. The second is the word peaceable. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, peacemakers look for ways to end divisions between people. Another way of translating the word James uses is the word peace-loving. You know, peace-loving people protect the unity between brothers. Worldly wisdom seeks to divide and isolate some. Now, to be clear, peacemaking is not the same as an unholy tolerance of anything. We should not tolerate sin. We, We should not tolerate false teaching. But what James is after is the dispelling of rivalries, the ending of factions, the eclipsing of mistrust. Peacemaking means that we approach differences in a spirit of love, looking for resolutions that bless and bring about love and mercy. Look, what is needed in so many churches are men and women who are peacemakers, not war makers or dividers. The third word is the word gentle. This is the quality of being considerate of someone. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In Titus 3 verse 2, as Paul tells Christians how to live, he says, To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. You know, that verse, I think, gets at the definition of how the gentle man and gentle woman behaves. They never talk trash. They they avoid it. It's unspiritual. They don't get into arguments. No gain is found there. It's a bad decision. They're courteous. They know how to show deference to those around them. All of that is the picture of the gentle person. The fourth word is is the phrase, open to reason. This is the person who can be reasoned with. Look, we all have opinions about all sorts of things, but there are things around which we disagree. The spiritual person can be reasoned with. He or she is not entrenched in a position to such a degree that that a dialogue around the facts and the use of the intellect is of no avail. See, a person who's open to reason is willing to yield when data is presented that changes how we see things. You know, worldly wisdom says never admit you're wrong. You don't want to lose face. Godly wisdom says the truth, or even a better way of doing things, will make an impact on me. The fifth word is again a phrase in which James combines two elements, full of mercy, he says, and good fruits. You know, mercy has to do with letting the guilty party go free. You're merciful if you found that the other person is wrong and that you have the power to bring that person to judgment, but you let them go free. Now, I'm not talking about covering up evil. I'm talking about someone who's made a mistake, and in response, the merciful person says, rather than making you pay for your mistake, I want to restore you. I don't want to throw you aside. And it's for that reason that James adds the phrase, good fruits, to the word merciful. 
That's because the outcome of mercy always builds rather than tears apart. When people see mercy, they're inspired to forgive their enemies. When they see mercy withheld, they also learn to make sure that no one gets away with anything. Mercy always produces good fruit, for it devises a way for the sinner to repent and to be restored. Mercy demonstrates the love of Christ, for the entire gospel can be summed up in one word, mercy. See, finally, James gives one more descriptive phrase for the wisdom from above. He says it's impartial and sincere. Another translation translates the word impartial as without uncertainty. Still another translation says unwavering. That's a description of a person who's guided by principle rather than immediate advantage. They don't make decisions based on power or popularity or how it will positively affect them. They act out of principle, not advantage. Now, having given that six-fold description of heavenly wisdom, James adds a thought. Verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When James speaks about a harvest, I think the analogy is brilliant. Farmers know about this. They sow their crops in the spring, and eventually, after a long summer, that which is sown is ready for harvest. That's to say, the reward for sowing is not immediate. It follows after some time. Imagine a church rich in reconciling people rich in reaching the lost, rich in caring for the poor, rich in counseling those who are broken, rich in generosity, rich in the life that Christ intends. You know, when you see that, what you're actually seeing is a church that has nurtured godly wisdom for years. They are simply harvesting the seeds they have sown. John, in the light of what you said, I want to ask you, why do you think it's so easy for us as even Christians to defer to, to earthly wisdom as opposed to spiritual wisdom? I think, Ben, because earthly wisdom seems to work so well. I mean, we've all observed it. Uh, we see someone who, you know, watches out for themselves. No one's ever going to take advantage of me. Uh, I make sure that I win my battles. And then when someone's good at that and they're doing it, we look at that and say, wow, they're really getting ahead that way. And I think we have to, you know, drink deeply from the, you know, spring that comes from Jesus who, who taught us to, to act in a completely different manner. And uh, it makes us meek. And uh, that's the difficulty. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us here again tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Back to the Bible Canada has just wrapped up another fiscal year, and we're beyond grateful for all your gifts toward our year-end target. Your generous donations have helped position this ministry for another successful year of sharing the gospel in every way imaginable. We're so excited for everything we have in store for this next year, so stay tuned. Our match campaign in June was a huge success, but we're humbled to say the amount of the pledges we received for the match campaign exceeded our expectations. Therefore, we're able to extend the campaign into July with an additional $75,000. So dollar for dollar, your gift will be matched up to an additional $75,000 in the month of July. We're so grateful for your gracious support right across Canada. So to double your impact, 
call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.